On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, I'm on vacation this week, but I've got a special show for you while I'm gone. I dug up some old audio I've had that you've probably never heard from Tesla's very first Fremont factory open house event that I was lucky enough to attend in October of 2011. Take a listen to this and you'll hear how almost everything Elon Musk said back then came true. Plus, if you missed it last year or it's been long enough that it'll just feel new again, my interview with angel investor and Tesla insider Jason Calacanis. Enjoy! What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey with you for episode 194 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for April 21st, 2019. Well, I'm here sort of. I'm actually on vacation right now. Family trip, been planned for months, and, uh, you know, I... I Hope that that will be okay for for you guys because uh, you know I've I've worked I let's see I've done this podcast every week for the last let's see I took one voluntary week off in the, over the first holiday season I started doing the podcast that was in 2015 so yeah, holiday 2015 I took a week off when that was if you've been listening that long more power to you <laughs> more credit to you I should say. But yeah, I've done the show literally every week since uh, through through uh, being under the weather at times, through through vacations. But you know, it's um, I, I just this one. You know, I just I just feel like I just need to take a little break. So that's why I thought, okay, well, what can I do for people? What can I do for my awesome audience that stuck with me? That still gives them something interesting to listen to, and but also gives me a chance to take a week off. Uh, and enjoy it with my family without having to worry about the podcast. So I came up uh, with this sort of best of package. I've got two primary things for you here. The first of which is something that you probably actually have never heard, that it might actually be new to you. So even though I won't be covering the current week's news, hopefully this is something that you've never heard before, you're, you're not familiar with. So I had the very good fortune, thanks to a friend of mine who was a Model S reservation holder, to attend the Tesla factory open house back in October of 2011. Now, so that's, keep there, keep in mind, October 2011, that's about, uh, let's see here, eight months before, over eight, almost nine months before Tesla delivered the very first Founder Series Model S. And that's about a year before actual production of the Model S happened. So they had purchased the Numi factory from Toyota. They had, you know, refurbished it for their needs. They were in this little tiny corner of it. And they had this cool event where reservation holders, the people that had put down their $5,000 on the Model S, or $40,000 was the deposit if you had a signature Model S, you were invited with with a guest to come in, tour the factory. You could literally walk anywhere. They did guided tours. You could walk the entire what, what existed of the assembly line at that point in time. It was really, like, I will never forget that because I've, I've had the factory tour since, 
And, you know, you sign an NDA when you take the factory tour, so you're not supposed to talk about what you see. But it's so different. I can, I can safely say that. You know, it's so different now that they're making 7,000 cars a week out of Fremont compared to what it looked like in October of 2011. And it was just a, a wonderful event. I got to ride in the, in the Model S. They, uh, they had a test ride. That was the first time Tesla ever did test rides, and that's become a staple of their product unveilings. And, uh, yeah, a friend of mine, uh, who, again, who was a, a long time, he'd had his reservation for a while. He kindly invited me along and we just had the best time and it was such a great thing. And, and there was this presentation during it where, uh, Elon Musk came up and just talked about the mission and the model S and that was, uh, he had George Blankenship, who was the head of sales. And you heard me mention his name a few shows ago. He was kind of the customer ambassador basically as well as the head of sales so he introduces elon and what you're about to hear so it's 21 minutes long i filmed the whole thing on my iphone let's see gosh 2011 that would have been i guess my iphone maybe the four at that point i don't know anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> video quality is not super great uh and i'm no great cameraman but if you want i i will up Load it to YouTube, to my YouTube channel, if, if anybody's interested in that after I get back. But for now, the audio is awesome. So you hear Elon talk, uh, introduced by George Blankenship. Pay attention to the whole thing, because basically all of this came true. You know, think about how this might have sounded in 2011, before the Model S ever hit. You know, all of this seemed like a pipe dream at that time. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the setup for it. There is, uh, so it's George, and then there's the, the applause and the music you hear is when Elon slowly rolls in, in the Model S, onto the stage, and then uh, there's some commotion because seven people get out of the car. They did the thing where they loaded it up, the loaded the car full to illustrate how many, how many passengers and cargo it can carry, uh, and, and yeah, just enjoy this, and then I'll come right back and introduce the next clip for you after that. Um, so first of all, uh, for those who I, who I haven't met, I'm George Blankenship. I work with a team that oversees uh, sales, worldwide service, marketing, and store design. And on behalf of that department and all 1,400 employees of Tesla, I would like to welcome all of you here. We are very, very excited to have you here. You have no idea. He said, 
our people were uninspired. He said it was ridiculous that we spent all the money we spent on doing white floors. He said the little plastic car that he got when he left was ridiculous. He said it was crazy to have all these robots on doing nothing with a waste of electricity. And then he said that, and he used a whole bunch of four-letter words. He said, we're doing a job of competing and trying to be like Mercedes and BMW. That's what he said. I take these things very, very seriously. I stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning responding to him, and I want to tell you what I told him. Last night, I guess it's morning now, 3 o'clock in the morning, I said, I believe that your car should be built in an environment that is clean, modern, and looks like a computer lab, not like this fish factory that you're in. That's why I've got white floors. I said, some people thought the robots were really cool. Some people thought our employees were very inspired. And the little plastic car, I think you missed the point. It wasn't a little plastic car. There were a lot of people in the room yesterday who had never seen an injection plastic mold, and I don't even know what I'm talking about. Or before. So we want to show them. And I said, as far as us being wanting to be like BMW and Mercedes, I said, that is not what I want to be. I do not want to be BMW, I do not want to be Mercedes, and let me tell you why. I said, when do you think the last time was that BMW or Mercedes opened up their factory and let people just go wherever they wanted to do, see whatever they wanted to see, take pictures of everything they wanted to take a picture of, take videos without security hanging all over? It doesn't happen. I said, when was the last time you think that the CEO and the executive staff from BMW or Mercedes spent a Saturday evening and a Sunday afternoon with their family? That's what they're, they're family of customers. I think that's what happened. So what I
being flashed on French radio, what they mean is in most categories. Uh, this is in every category. In fact, we even go beyond that uh, wherever we can. Uh, then in terms of performance, uh, the, the Marvelous is the only all-aluminum uh, uh, sedan uh, made in North America. Uh, it's, it's really important that it's made of aluminum because we want it to, be, to have that, that crash safety, but also be light. So the car is only a little over 4,000 pounds uh, in, in, in mass. Uh, and that allows it to be agile and quick and not, and not feel heavy. Um, the, uh, <clears throat> the performance is, is no factor. Uh, the car has, the, the, the basic car can do sort of 0 to 60 in about 5.6 seconds. And something you, you may already have heard about is we announced yesterday that there's going to be a performance version of the Model S that can do 0 to 60 in under 4.5 seconds. And that will be available from Star Production middle of next year. You know, just to put, uh, to, to put that into perspective, that's that's better acceleration than a basic Porsche 911, and it's a four-door step. So not bad. Um, but, but acceleration is just one metric. The the, the thing that's really that, that that makes this better than any gasoline. Uh, sedan could possibly be is the center of gravity. The center of gravity, because the battery packs in the full pan, the center of gravity is super low. It's lower than most sports cars. And that means that when you when you brake or accelerate, you don't have the, the dive, you know, this, this feeling of diving forward or falling back that you normally have if you've got a, a big engine um, above the axle. Because that engine behaves like a bobblehead. Um, and so, uh, and that, the, the same applies for if you want to swerve out of the way of an accident. I mean, the, the, the best way, um, the best form of safety is not to have an accident in the first place. And so to have incredible maneuverability and be able to get out of the way of the accident is super important. And because you have that low center of gravity, you don't have this body roll issue that you normally have uh, in, in, in standards. Um, so on, on, on that metric, it's, it's really, it, it's a situation that a gasoline car literally can't compete on. Um, and you're seeing sort of kind of popping on this difference of gasoline and electric. But what we're really trying to show here with the Model S is that an electric car is not, it's not almost as good as a gasoline car. It's way better. I mean, that's the thing that we have to show the world. When you see all these articles and, and so-called experts, um, and you know, in, in some cases they're, they're just sort of your typical naysayers, in some cases they're funded by the oil companies, and, that have various objectives in mind. Um, and and, and they, they sort of, they, they always sort of want this part of business. And, and the reason, you know, what, a huge reason why we're holding this event is that when, when, you, when you go home, or, or to, to work, and you talk to people that you know, um, now you can say, I've driven in the car. I've seen the factory. Um, you don't have to say, I, I think it'll work, or, or maybe they can make it. You've seen the actual product, you've seen how it'll get built, and you, you know with absolute certainty this is the real thing. So, um, and, and in this case, we really need your help. Not for Tesla, but for electric cars in general. Um, there's always a danger that the electric car revolution can stall out, that, that people can say, well, you know, it's a nice try, but, you know, they, they, they couldn't make a drone of it, so. You know, let, let, let's 
sort of abandon the whole electric car idea and go, go back to fossil fuels. We cannot let that happen. Um, and that, that's, that's really what this is about.
Ride the Lightning is brought to you by AmpUp. AmpUp seeks to build the world's largest reservable EV charging network out of shared private and home chargers, while it also aggregates nine public charging networks, including ChargePoint, Tesla, EVgo, and Blink, for maximum convenience. Yes, that means if you're an apartment-dwelling EV owner or otherwise don't have home charging, this app is for you. Hosts set hours for sharing on the charger, allowing different schedules every day of the week and weekends. Hosts also set the price per hour for using the charger. Drivers pay via credit card and reservations are instantly confirmed for drivers since hosts set up the schedule beforehand. AmpUp is incubated by the world-famous Y Combinator. Its creator, Tom, is not only the president, he's also a client. Tom hopes AmpUp can help get more people over the range anxiety hump and boost EV growth. So check out AmpUp today on the App Store and Google Play.
So that was pretty cool, that audio, wasn't it? Again, October 2011. Try to remember how things were at that point. Tesla hadn't made a single production car yet. They'd made nothing. No, uh, well, other than the Roadsters. So that's, that's sorry, that's, <laughs> the Roadsters absolutely count. But they hadn't made their own car yet. They hadn't made a single production Model S. But yeah, I mean, notice how you hear what Elon said there. Even then, it was about the mission. Elon said there that if the Model S failed, it would set the entire electric car movement back. And he's right, it would have. It absolutely would have just shut the whole thing down. Instead, it succeeded against all odds, and it was th the best car in the world, still is, and has, has now gone on to finally change things, help change things. It's, it's incredible. Uh, and, and again, everything, almost everything, there's one thing, everything he said back then, Absolutely came true with with the lone exception of the apps, the apps tab. Uh, we never got those third party apps for the car. That was uh, a thing that was playing. In fact, in the video version of that, in my iPhone video, when uh, I, I shoot the the screen, Elon's playing around on the screen there when he's given the demo inside the car. You can see it on the original version zero point five version of the UI. There's an apps tab in the top right corner that uh, never did get used. But yeah, that was that was pretty cool. And by the way, did you catch in George Blankenship's intro how many employees Tesla had back then? 1,400, he said. 1,400. Rem a reminder that there are over 40,000 employees now, which is, which is pretty great. Uh, and then the last, the last thing that I took out of that after listening to that, watching it again for the first time in a while was uh, my favorite Elon quote out of there was when he said that it's not almost as good as a gas car. It's way better. And guess what? Again, he was right. He was so right about that. So great stuff. Uh, that was super fun. So now the next part of the best of episode here while I vacation with the family, I want to rewind you back to one of my favorite segments on this show. I got so much really wonderful feedback on this that I'm so grateful for. Jason Calacanis, angel investor. He's been uh, very pro-Tesla since the very beginning. He had a Roadster. He had one of the very first Founders Series Model S's and then Model X and then Model 3. Uh, he was, yeah, he was in the original batch of Model 3's. He is, uh, he's, he's a... He knows Elon personally. He's he's been watched uh, the company's efforts very closely, and he's just been a Tesla champion for a long time. And he's a super smart guy. Uh, watches the market carefully, and and there were a lot of really interesting insights in this interview. As Daisy the Boxer Puppy drinks up behind me, in case that's picking up on Mike. But uh, yeah, this was a really fun interview for me to do. Jason was very gracious with his time. This is about a 43-minute interview, which was more than I'd even planned for, but the conversation, we were just having such a great chat, it just kept going. So if you already heard this, uh, you can probably, and you know you don't want to hear it again, you can probably tune out for this week if you want to, uh, but maybe it's been long enough since this aired that you might it, it might sound new to you all over again, and maybe you want to listen to it again, but... Either way, uh, I will I will come back with a pro tip of the week, a new one after this from Cameron in San Francisco, and uh, then I'll do the usual wrap up for you after that. But first, here is my forty three minute interview with angel investor Jason Calacanis from two thousand eighteen. 
All right, it's uh, time for an interview, a little something special this week. Jason Calacanis is joining us. If you're not familiar with him, he is an angel investor, Tesla super fan. He's uh, been been on Tesla's radar or vice versa for, for quite some time. He is the author of the book Angel, Timeless Advice from an Angel Investor Who Turned $100,000 into $100 million. Jason, welcome. Thanks for having me. I guess it's the other way around, though. We're in your space. We are <laughs> in my studio. I'm, thank you for having me. But I have, I have good microphones, so I always tell people if they yes. want me to be on their podcast and they're doing it in a conference room like I used to, come yeah. by my studio, and I have the This Week in Startup Studios in the Flower District of uh, San Francisco. Works out. And great microphones. Works out, absolutely. So uh, you have a long history with Tesla, and I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because sure. you're, you're very vocal on, on social media, and, and of course we see you on cable news networks talking Tesla a lot. CNBC. Indeed. When, uh, so when did you first become aware of Tesla? Do you remember back? Well, I remember when they had that uh, Adam, I guess, car uh, that they were yes, driving the around. Um, Silicon Valley is like a proof of concept. And it was... It was Martin Eberhard, right? Yeah, I think so. And there yeah. were some other guys involved. And they had a frame that you would sit in, and they had batteries, and it was like this incredible off-the-line performance. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get in that thing. But you know, everybody, <laughs> everybody in town knew about it. Yeah. And I had... Uh, Chris Payne, I guess, the guy who did... The who, documentarian, yeah, yes. Yeah, I knew Chris back when he was running an internet company. He took me for a ride. I'll never forget it on Olympic Boulevard in Santa Monica. He had a um, EV1. Sure, the Chevy, yeah, the ones that were famously crushed, which he, of course, made a film about. Correct. And so I'm in that film and, um, you know, basically defending Tesla against the haters 10 years ago, which is still kind of my default mode on yeah. Twitter is defending against the haters. We'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and he took me for a ride and I was amazed and it only went 60 miles, but he had a charger at his office mm -hmm. and a charger at home. And so that EV1 could go, I think, 50 miles maybe, and it cost 50000 Yeah. or something like that, $1,000 per mile <laughs> of range, uh, which would then put like... The Tesla cars, at, you know, an average selling price of like the Model Three would be three hundred thousand dollars or three hundred fifteen thousand um, dollars, and I was just amazed at how fast it was. But he wouldn't have been able to do the round trip without having a charger in both locations, which yeah. sort of dates the conversation. So I've always been a fan of it. Um, I remember when Elon was an investor in the company, he was like chairman, and he was trying to help them figure it out. So he's a co-founder, obviously, mm -hmm. um, and then he became kind of the solo founder because. Uh, as you know, the first team that built the Roadster, and this is all very public knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't trade the stock, just so people know, um, whether I am friends with Elon. You know, the, the, um, the original Roadster, according to reports, was costing more than they were charging for it. And I have number 16 of the Roadster. Nice. And um, that car cost me, I think, 140000 or 150000 for at the time was supposed to be 200 mile range, but if you drove it like a sports car, maybe <laughs> 140. Yeah. Um, and the big complaints about everybody had was, oh, you'll never, nobody will ever be able to afford it. Nobody will ever, will never have the right range, and it's too slow to charge. And lo and behold, here we are, four generations later, or really three, because the X and the S are kind of the same car just different you know configurations sure so if you consider it three generations of cars you know um my model three that i have the and i have a hun number 100 of that the yeah i'm gonna series. ask you about that in a few minutes too yeah i have that one and it goes 
320 Three, miles? 310, officially. Officially, but. right. So I think more like 320 is probably what you actually get. Um, and that's like legitimate driving. So you could drive to LA and back. And then I just had my road, so I had the battery upgraded. And now it's like 350. Yeah, the R80 battery. The I have the R80 yep. battery, and it's pretty fun. Um, yeah. So what would you say, That's I love that origin story. I mean, that's, that's, that's all the way back. But what would you classify as your, your sort of aha moment with the, I need to get in with this? Well... I've always, I just to, if we're gonna make it about me. I I uh, I worked for Amnesty International, and I always had a problem with the human rights violations from the Middle East, and I always had a problem with oil and what it does to the environment. Yeah. So, like Elon, I think I I think Elon cares very much about the environment, um, and I just thought we have to transition off of oil and. If I can afford it, and at the time I had sold my company, I was driving a Corvette. I tried to buy a Ferrari and a Lamborghini, and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just drive my Corvette for another couple of years while I wait for the roads to be right. ready, and I'll just participate in the future because I know that when consumers buy those products, what they're really doing is the R&D for the eventual product. So it feels very good, I'm sure, for the 2,000 people who bought the Roadster or so yep. to see 5,000 Model S's coming off the line a week. So just to put that in context. Yeah, 5,003s, yeah. 5,000, I'm sorry, yeah, Model 3 is going off the line a week. They sold 2,000 cars in their first five years as a company probably. Yeah. You know, before the S came out. They probably sold, I think, 2,000 of those uh, Roadsters, maybe 2,500. Yeah, it was 2,500, as I Was it 2,500, yeah. the exact number? Yeah, but so, over, over four years. Yes. It's, it's 2008 to 2012, so, yeah, so it's, it's a, a long, long time. time. And uh, that's what really made the Model 3 possible. And the Model 3 at 50,000 is a triumph of all triumphs. So in a way, what we bought with the Roadster was Elon and his team, the time and the resources right. and the enthusiasm to keep going and, and change the world. And, and here we are, 5,000 cars a week. Elon will easily be able to double or triple that number. The fact that people can't see the arc of history and realize, well, they were making 500 a year, <laughs> which is 10 a week. Yeah. It's just math, people. Like, yeah. if they're made 10 a week in the start of the company, and now they're making 5000 a week, that is a 500X, right? Well, I remember when I got to, as, as no doubt you did, uh, I went to the, the, the beta event, the, the open house yeah. for, for the, the Fremont factory after mm -hmm. they bought it from Numi. And they were, the Model S production, you could walk the line, and it was just in that little corner of the yep. space. Now the space is full. Yeah, and you exactly. And you look what's happening now. Yep. When, when did you first meet Elon? So I knew a lot of the PayPal mafia from back in the day, and I had moved to L.A., and I had a lot of mutual friends with Elon, including Adeo and uh, a bunch of other folks, and I guess we met in 99, maybe 2000-ish time period, early 2000s. So very pre-Tesla. Yeah, yeah, before Tesla. Yeah. He was doing SpaceX at the time, and I think... He had just started to do Tesla. The cars weren't out. And, you know, I was, I always laugh because now we go to a party and if we were to go to an event or a party, like there would be 20 people around him and five around me. Now I write checks for a living, right? Like he doesn't invest in other people's companies. Yeah. So I should be more popular theoretically, <laughs> but every physics nerd and nerd on the planet wants to talk to him. Um, but back in the day, we would go to parties or something or dinners and I'd have to introduce him to people and they didn't know who he was. Um, and that obviously has changed. He's become quite a celebrity. Um, and he uses, I think, the celebrity for good. Um, and, uh, you know, the 
the work ethic that he has just watching what he did with Tesla is just tremendous. You know, every step of the way people have tried to stop that company. Oh yeah. And these these Tesla shorts now they're spreading fear, uncertainty and doubt FUD as we call it, trying to stop the company. And it's just like, really, is this still going on? Because when we all bought our cars, GM and the oil industry were attacking Tesla relentlessly. Mm -hmm. So the car manufacturers and the oil companies just, Oh, range anxiety. Oh, right. You, you're going to be stranded. You're going to be stranded. Your car is going to brick, all this stuff. And it's like, well, he said he's going to build a supercharging network, and there's one between you know San Francisco and L.A., yeah. and there's two between Vegas. And, and now, all of a sudden, like you can hit four different superchargers on the way. <laughs> Throw a rock from, and hit one. <laughs> yeah, well, from San Francisco <laughs> to, I think, Tahoe, there's four of them. Yeah. And then the four of them have so many spots, and they are now doing, it was like, it's supposed to be 100 miles per hour added. So you're supposed to stop for an hour, have dinner, right. and add 100. Now I go, and it's like 300 miles are being added per hour, and right. you stop for 20 minutes, and you're good. So it's pretty amazing. Um, there, there are really two amazing observations for founders and for people who believe in technology, which is this stuff can be done, and you will be tried, the incumbents will try to stop you, and the haters will try to stop you. It never gets easier. I got to think the last year of Elon's life, I know this, is probably the hardest. I mean, he's said it on conference calls and yeah, things. Yeah, I think it's the hardest. It's been. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of the things about entrepreneurship for people who don't know. I angel invest and I was a journalist before that. And everybody thinks it gets easier. Like last year was Zuckerberg's, this past year has been Zuckerberg's hardest year. He like literally, his platform was used yeah. to swing the election right. based on Russian interference in almost certainty. It had a very major contributing factor. Um, if not the contributing factor uh, after the Russians. And so then you look at Elon, it's like, oh, the Tesla shorts are building a short position of 30% or something crazy. Like, it's never happened before. Like, yeah. and it, it's really amazing how the oil companies and the car companies were deriding him for five or six years. I used to go on CNBC and defend him versus the other car companies. Now the car companies are finally chasing him. <laughs> yeah. And now they're saying, oh, Elon's a brilliant guy and electric cars are obviously the future. But these are the same people who were talking smack five years ago. <laughs> and you know what? Like, I, I'm, I don't think the Saudis were talking smack specifically, but I think big oil didn't think highly of it. And then we find out that- Yeah, now they've got a big, big Position, they've built a, yeah. a large position. So I think the world changes based upon founders, entrepreneurs never giving up. And if, you, if I think about indefatigable, resilient entrepreneurs, Elon's at the top of the list. I mean, how, how would you characterize him- as the guy, you know, you, you've spent a lot of time with him. The, the, the guy the public doesn't see. Yeah, you like? know, I never talk about my personal relationship with him, also because it, it would seem like I'm drafting off of his fame sure, and success. No. But I, I do like to talk about him once in a while, which is why I agreed to be on the podcast, when I think things are being treated unfairly. So yeah. I'm not a spokesperson for Tesla, so people understand. I don't have a position in Tesla. I do have mutual... I don't trade public stocks, but I have mutual funds that I'm sure have some Tesla position yeah. in them because it's a top yeah. stock. But I don't actively trade any public companies. In fact, when I sell one of my companies, a private company, and I get back stock, like when, when WhatsApp got sold, I got a bunch of Facebook shares, I try to sell it relatively quickly and mm -hmm. put it in a blended portfolio on Wealthfront. Putting that aside, um, you know, I, I don't think people knew he was very funny, you know, like a humorous <laughs> guy with a good sense of humor early on. Yeah. Uh, but he kind of, on Twitter, let that out a little bit. And I think you see him like doing funny jokes like, 
you know, ludicrous mode and the right. little Easter egg. So a couple I think of he, guest appearances on TV shows, right? Yeah, I, I think he's gotten a little bit more comfortable with all that. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. In fact, I'll, I'll tell one story that probably nobody's ever heard. I'm friends with a guy named Jim Brooks who created The Simpsons. And Jim and I were playing cards together. We both like to play poker. And in LA, there's lots of like, you know, friendly poker games, not big stake poker. Sure. Just friends playing poker. So Jim and I made a friendship. He said, oh, should I get that Tesla? I said, yeah, you got to get it. Let me take you for a ride. I took him for a ride in my Model S because I had the first one in LA. And that's all it takes, right? Yeah, no, you put somebody in one of those cars. So he <laughs> loves it. and he, So he goes bonkers for it. Then whatever year goes by, it's like, do you think your friend would want to be on The Simpsons? I was like, I don't know. Let me text him. Uh, and so then we all went and had a drink. I introduced Jim to Elon. And then they did that space. Elon was yeah. on uh, The Simpsons. So the total sum of my contribution uh, in the history of Tesla is uh, <laughs> buying four cars and arranging for Elon to be on The Simpsons. Before before we talk a little more about, yeah. about Tesla, the company, there's one more on, I'm curious with, with regard to Elon. What, what do you think separates him from other Silicon Valley CEOs that you've, that you've dealt with? I don't think a lot of people give him credit for being a brilliant engineer. Um, you know, people like talk about him being like P.T. Barnum and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I think he added that skill later. Like he wasn't doing key- keynotes and those kind of things in the launches originally. He would just, you know, make the cars, right? Yeah. He wasn't like going on stage, but, you know, then he started doing these like big production launches and, oh, here's the semi. And we're going to take the Roadster 2 out of the back. So right. I think he added the showmanship uh, stuff later uh, to build excitement. But he he's a brilliant engineer, just first and foremost. Like he, he can sit there and solve a problem um, and I think he's a very inspiring leader, you know, which is necessary. And in terms of, I mean, it's probably why we're friends, in terms of ability to strategize and lack sleep and be able to, you know, uh, you know, work ethic and stamina, I think he's just way up there. And, you know, it takes a lot of stamina to run these companies and you have to have a high and threshold. And he's running several. Yeah, you have to have a high <laughs> threshold for pain because... People don't understand what the CEO job is. The CEO job is to hire the smartest people you can find to solve incredibly complex problems. And the reward for doing that job is that those people come to you when they can't figure something out. <laughs> so let me say that again. Yeah. You spend an inordinate amount of time and money hiring the most brilliant people who then come to you when something is truly messed up and they can't <laughs> fix it. So then your job becomes... To help the smartest people in the world solve the problems they can't solve on their own. Which means if you have a hundred executives, let's just say you have 20 executives reporting directly to you and they, and then there's a hundred lieutenants under them. Right. That means of those 120 people, two or three of them are going to have just really difficult tasks every, on a given day. That means every month, all of them will have a difficult task. Yeah. <laughs> If you work 30 days a month, that means every day there's four or five problems that the smartest people you hire couldn't figure out. It's exhausting. That's an interesting you, way of characterizing it. Well, nobody sees this from the inside because yeah. all you see is the earnings calls and you know private jets or salaries or net worth. And you, it dehumanizes people. I think people like to dehumanize uh, people who are famous. Like They do it with celebrities. They do it with business people as well. Yeah. And Steve Jobs becomes a caricature or Elizabeth Holmes becomes this you know psychotic thief doing you know theranos and she's deranged and changing her voice like there are human beings behind this even if in elizabeth holmes case is criminal and in steve jobs case you know he might have been a jerk to some people at some point in his career who knows um they're humans and you know the ability to 
deal with bad news and problems and negativity, especially if you're in a space where people are actively voting to have you fail. There's lit. I mean, it's hard enough to just do what I just described. Yeah, absolutely. Four or five people a day are coming to you with the biggest problems they can't solve. And that's now, just on the inside. That's on the inside. Right. Then on the outside, you have 30% of shareholders voting against you or whatever it is for the short position, and they're spreading lies. Right. So you have people spreading lies. I mean, you're watching these deranged Tesla shorts lose their mind in public, and they're sending drones over the permanent tent yeah. that is a production line. GA4, yeah. Yeah, GA4 is a testament to how much they want to win. Any reasonable person in the technology industry or entrepreneurship would go, that dude is clever. He added a production line for a very small amount of money instantly in his backyard in a tent that's permanent. It's not a pop tent from you know, Walmart. It's, <laughs> it's a legitimate like per- permanent tent. That's brilliant. That shows that's a commitment to winning and excellence that you just don't see and creativity. Yeah, and then the short spin, absolutely. oh my God, the company's building cars in a tent. And it's like, they're building some cars in the tent. That's a permanent tent. That's a permanent structure or semi-permanent, whatever you want to call it. And that car that came out of it, the person from the Wall Street Journal who reviews cars, who is the most respected person, said is the most otherworldly yeah. car he's ever driven. Yeah. And then the person who breaks down cars and is the most respected of any person who deconstructs cars and says what the profitability in the construction is, says this thing's got a 30% margin and is a, is a thing of beauty. Right. Okay, what more do you need to know? <laughs> like, and, and my car, yeah. uh, which I've been waiting for over two, two years for, just on the reservation list, yeah. came out of that tent. Yeah. And it's, it's, the, it's the greatest thing I've yes. ever owned. You hear that from a lot of Tesla owners where they'll be like, this is the thing that's bring, brought me the most joy in my life. That's why I tell people, you can't, bet against the world's greatest products or the world's greatest founders. If somebody builds a category-killing product, the momentum that creates is extraordinary. So when you look at the iPhone, it makes no sense that people buy, I have right in front of me the Pixel 2, yep. and I have my iPhone 10. Yep. Pixel 2 is cheaper, Pixel 2 is faster, Pixel 2 is, Pixel 2 is better. Thinner, better battery life, everything is better about the Pixel 2, it's faster. When I load apps, my iPhone is grinding. My iPhone 10 that I paid 1200 for, I think this Pixel costs like maybe 700 So it's like, it's not half price, but it's a third it's, off. It's a substantial difference. And then I'm sitting here in front of my new Pixel 2, Google, Chromebook, Pixelbook, incredible. Yeah. $1,600, faster than my MacBook, which costs 3000 <laughs> So I'm like, okay, wait a second. Those other products are able to command such a massive margin, and people will pay for them because they're beautiful and category-killing. Even when Google eventually catches up and has these beautiful products, that's what you have to realize about a company um, like Uber or Tesla. When you make the category-killing product, man, does that help. When you delight customers that much, they will be loyal to you. Oh, yeah. I own four Teslas. I know people who own... Two Teslas, they'll never go back. They'll never yeah. go to well, and that's car. you know you uh, just like BMW and Porsche owners, you know. Absolutely. The, so you know you you have all the cars. So you called, uh, you got a lot of of play in the news uh, a year ago when you when you called the Model Three the iPhone of cars. What yes. what kind of now a year later? It's obvious as production has 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 yeah. ramped now and continues to ramp. Oh my God! What got kind that right. of disruption do you think this car is capable of? Oh, it's massive. I mean here. 
when I said it was the iPhone of cars and that it was a Porsche, or is it Porsche? Porsche. Uh, they like, I've, I, I they found like out say? on my podcast, people, the, the enthusiasts prefer Porsche. Porsche. Yes. So these Porsche, I said it's a, it's a Porsche for the price of a Prius, and it's the iPhone of cars. Both of those things are true. And actually the guy from the Wall Street Journal who gave her his- Dan his, Neal, yeah. He, he used, I think he'd used the term Porsche, like drives like a, oh no, the other guy who does the- Sandy uh, Monroe? Yeah. He yeah. said it's like, it drives like a Porsche. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's what I said. And <laughs> the reason is- you get this crazy acceleration, as you know, on a car that's smaller mm -hmm. than the Model S or X, so it feels snappier. Yes. So it's driving, you're like, is this thing a Prius or is it a Porsche? It feels like a Porsche. And it was obvious to me at that point, when I'm getting over-the-air updates of new features constantly, and this thing is so fast and so much fun to drive, and the self-driving is getting better and better, and it's flawless on the 280, if you want to be a student of technology and history, it's very simple. Most people in their minds don't understand how to conceive of a thousand X. Not a thousand percent increase, but a thousand X increase. Yeah. Well, if you think of a 10 X increase, well, that's, you know, if something was, you know, uh, one times, you know, 10, now you're at 10, and then you do 10 times 10, you're at 100, then 10 times 100, you're at 1,000. People can very easily understand those kind of transitions. Sure. It's an easy jump for the human mind to make. What they don't understand is when you start saying 100x or 1,000x. It doesn't seem possible. But when I hold up these phones or these laptops or that car, the amount of battery range, the amount of power and technology, GPS, uh, computing power, GPUs, these things have all experienced you know, 10x, 10x changes multiple times, with the exception of batteries, which are slower. They're like doubling every, what, seven years or something? Mm -hmm. uh, and the cost is halving every couple of years. So, you know, the potential of this car is for it to be the greatest selling car in the history of humanity, for them to have, you know, many plants around the world, and for them to be self-driving themselves and competing against Uber. You know, and I'm going to major, Uber's the greatest investment ever made, but if you ask me 15 years from now, Uber and Tesla are on a collision course. Hmm. It's not in the next five or 10 years because yeah. level, you really need level four autonomy for these cars to work. All the self-driving tests right now, it's going to be a long time before we can take that safety pilot out of the seat. And we saw with the safety pilot in the Uber tragedy where a woman got hit, the yeah. Uber driver was playing Candy Crush or messaging or something stupid like that. Total, totally, um, you know, not doing her job and she killed a person. Mm -hmm. And the the cars are not ready to be level four autonomy. It's going to be years. And it's going to take really perfect conditions. Perfect weather, perfect grid, and nobody crossing at intersection. So I could see self-driving working in Austin in a grid or Phoenix in dry weather. Like yeah. It's going to work fine in those places. But anybody who has any of the self-driving technology in their car, whether it's Mercedes, BMW, Honda, or Tesla... And Tesla just won and beat everybody. I don't know if you saw that report. The self-driving tests that have been done, is just, they crushed everybody, the Model 3. Be fine on the 280, fine on the 405. But just, it's, you know, when you start driving down Santa Monica Boulevard and a homeless person jumps out in the street or somebody leaves their bicycle or something, it's just going to be harder to, yeah. to, to too route those. Too many variables. So that's 10 years out, 15 years out. So what I see is, you know, Tesla becomes an energy company, a transportation company, and all energy is provided through Tesla power packs and homes and solar. And then all these cars are just riding around anywhere, giving people, instead of uh, an Uber X ride costing $7, you're 
you know, $3 or $2 even. And that's where, you know, he, he might be able to make a million cars a year. And then all of a sudden transportation is just Model 3 zipping everybody everywhere. Is, is, uh, is the energy side of their business have the potential to be bigger than the car side of their business, do you feel? What do you think? I don't know. It's hard. I, I just don't, I personally don't see, I mean, I hope we can all go solar quickly, but I don't see uh, America specifically letting go of their addiction to cars anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I so. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Those battery packs um, that they put in uh, Australia and some other places. Yes. I think that business is probably underestimated in a major way. The solar stuff, I would put the solar panels aside for a second and just say like, imagine a grid or your home being able to store energy when it's cheap and use it when it's not. Yeah. So if you were just able to have a battery pack in every home, on these hot summer days, the idea of having brownouts or problems, we well, have a battery to be gone and you yeah. would your battery would sip, you know, energy at night to fill up and then you'd use it during the day and when it's cheap at night, you know, more would be used and it's so obvious to me that like this, these batteries are going to keep coming down in price. The gigafactories are going to be around the world, and every home and business will have a, essentially, which is an un, under, uninterrupted power supply, UPS, that we use right. that for servers. <laughs> That's a good, just a good analogy. Why on earth, if those things were $500, which eventually they'll be, I don't know what they cost now, but a couple thousand for a power wall, we'll have to look it up. But you know, if those Nine, things, I think, maybe. How much is it? Nine, maybe? Nine thousand? Seven, nine? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, if those things become super cheap, and they have a lot of density, right? Which is what's happening yeah. every couple of years. They, you know, get half the price. You know, why wouldn't they be in every house and every apartment and just or every apartment building? Like, we'll never ever lose uh, energy, right? Yeah. And we'll be able to put solar panels everywhere eventually, and those will keep getting cheaper, and they'll be, be more beautiful. So, I think what people consider Tesla, like a car company, an energy company, it's all going to. Um, you know, eventually become this energy plus mobility. And I think it will start to look more like Uber than it mm. does Tesla. When in, but that might be 15 years from now, to be honest. In your long history with Tesla, was there ever a moment where you thought they were, they were done for? Like they're well, not they going to make it? I know. I mean, Elon has spoken a, a yeah. few times, but I'm sure, curious from your, your vantage point. Well, that was the story of which... Uh, he's told publicly so I can, I can tell it. We were at a dinner and everything was going wrong for him and Tesla at that time. He'd blown up two rockets at SpaceX and... Right, the Christmas Eve, this is a Christmas Eve story, isn't it? Christmas Eve is when he closed the deal. Right. This is a month or two before, maybe two months before we were having dinner. We were having, just the two of us were having a steak. We drove our roadsters to Boa, I think. Just the two of us, one-on-one, had a quick steak after work. And... Um, I said, how's it going? And he said, not good. I said, well, tell me everything. Is it true you only have like a month of cash left? Because I can, you know, I can loan you a couple million bucks. You know, I don't have tens of millions, but I can loan you a couple million or whatever. He's like, don't worry, don't worry. It's no big deal. Um, uh, I'm going to try to figure it out. I said, he said, but it's not true. I said, oh, that's great. He goes, yeah, we only have three weeks left. <laughs> he was like, we don't have two months. We have like two or three weeks. So I was like, oh. And he had, the rockets were not working. And he said, uh, at some point, like, I was like, it was really depressed and I hadn't, you know, I had very rarely seen him, you know, really concerned and he was very concerned because he's a pretty brave guy um, and he's big, big risk taker and he was, I was like, hey pal, you know, is there any good news? And he showed me on his Blackberry to date the conversation. He started swiping through on the little ball on the Blackberry, the clay models of the Model 3 oh, that yeah. he was making and he said, don't tell anybody, but this is, this is Dan and I said, wow, it looks like a just incredible car. 
what do you think it's going to cost? You know, this one's 140, so it's going to cost 100. He goes, I think I can make it for like 50, maybe 60. So the, like, the S then you're talking yes. about. The S, yeah. So I said, wow, that's awesome, dude. If you make that car, you'll change the world. I, I remember saying that to him at that <laughs> point because I had seen it. I just like, wow, yeah, I can't right. imagine having five, because, you know, the roadster was two seats and it was 150,000. I was like, a five-seat car that goes up against a five series or a Mercedes, like 500, whatever. This is like a really, would change the world. Um and he said it would have like a 200-mile range, maybe maybe even 300 miles someday. So he like literally predicted everything to me at dinner. And so I went home, and the next day I wrote two checks for $50,000, and I wrote a handwritten note, Elon, or E, um, beautiful car, I'll take two. <laughs> Good luck changing the world, Jason. Yeah. And so I sent him the checks, and uh, he said thank you, and it was very flattering. And I said to my wife, I just like, kissed the two checks, and I was like, that's going to pay for three days of payroll, or two days of payroll at <laughs> Tesla. And I'll never see that money. We're going to lose a hundred grand, but we're helping our friend, so yeah. it's worth it. And my wife laughed. She said, "You're a good friend." Two years later, oh, a couple of months later, he closes the Christmas Eve funding. That's a pretty famous story. And then um, I get two emails two years two years later, back to back. Ding! Your resignation number is the car's ready. Yeah, serial number zero 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 one. The next one, your car number is serial number zero 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 seven three. So he gave me the first and the seventy third, uh, and I. Immediately forwarded it to him. I said, "Don't give me the number one. I'm sure that's what you want." He's like, oh, "I got so many of these things. You know, I got the 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 prototypes and everything. It's cool. I want you to have it because you were the first person to put an order in." And so he, you know, it's he's a. I, I don't like to talk about our personal relationship, but I will say he's one of the most loyal, hardworking, kind people I know. I mean, I know he's also a hard ass. People say that like <laughs> it's hard to work for. Whatever, I don't work for him. We're just friends. But he's a very loyal, hardworking person. I think very. Yeah. He cares very deeply, and you see that when you see the sacrifices he makes, you know? Um, and so that's how I wound up having serial number one of the Model S, Signature 01. And then Steve Jurvetson, who was the investor. He has Founders Series. He has number Founders one. Number yeah. 1. So they made 20 Founders cars. And Elon offered me one of those, but I was like, no, I want the first off the line for Signature yeah. 01. That's cooler than being So you've still 20. got that car, right? Yeah, I have it uh, under a cover. Somebody offered me a quarter million dollars for it. I said no. <laughs> what Did you take Signature Red or what color? It's black. Black, okay. Black, yeah. I have, That's I was Elon's the first, preference as well. Yeah, it looks better in black. I have the first orange roadster, and orange is the proper uh, color very for Very orange. Very the, orange. Yeah. I have the first one in, nice. uh, uh, that was ever done in orange. And when they saw it, like everybody at the showroom was like, that's what this car was meant to be, orange, not red. He's got the candy apple red, custom yeah. paint job. That was Well, like, it's in space now. Yeah, but that's not, that, that, that doesn't look as good as my orange one, and I'm not sending mine to space. I'm keeping it forever. But I'm um, not getting, I'm making the official announcement here. I'm going to get the Roadster 2. Yeah. But I'm not going to buy the other new Tesla cars. So I'll have five out of six. My so you're wife, done after the Roadster? No Model Y for Jason? No, I'll definitely get the Model Y, oh. but that hasn't been announced yet. Um, but I'm not going to get the semi-truck. I'm making the official <laughs> statement right now. My wife is not letting me buy. But you can load the other cars in the back of it. it, it they don't, I don't think they make the back. I think they just make the well, front. Well, somebody will make somebody the back. Somebody make the back. Yeah. But I was like, my wife's like, no. I was like, would it be cool if I had the semi? I could drive that down the highway. Right. Honk the horn. I can. She's like, no. There's no room in the driveway. Uh, it's kind of funny. Oh, man. All right. I'll let you go in just a second. But uh, the last thing, you, on this sort of note you're talking about, Elon, you, you, you tweeted recently, you said, I told you all like a hundred times you don't want to bet against E. There are massive sources of capital out there. This is talking, of course, about the uh, move to privatization that, yep. that Elon has, has, uh, has uh, vocalized. Yes. Um, there are massive sources of capital out there from Massasan to Norway to Saudi Arabia to dozens of others, Apple, Google, et cetera. Tesla would have a wonderful reception in private markets while getting attacked less. So what I want to ask you from your unique perspective here uh, as an investor and as, as someone who, who knows Elon and Tesla very well, how might 
this move to going private look if it were to happen? Who who could be the big stakeholders here other sure. than Elon Musk? All right. So I have no inside information, just to be clear. And I don't trade the stock, so I have nothing at stake. So when the shorts hear this and they lose their minds and start CCing the SEC on my Twitter feed and are like, SEC, Jason Calacanis said this. It's like, I don't trade the stock and I have no information, period. Um, if someone like Elon and Tesla, because yeah. I saw this with Uber, having been the third or fourth investor in Uber, someone like Elon at the state of that company right now were to send an email, let's just pick a number. This is just my personal experience. I haven't talked to Elon about it. I haven't talked to, actually, haven't, I've been away. I haven't talked to Elon since this $420 thing has even been announced. So I have yeah. literally no contact with him and no insights. But I will tell you, if you email the top 10 people on the short list of people who have tens of billions of dollars in the world, 10 out of 10 would take the meeting with him. I would guess seven out of 10 would make an offer. Mm -hmm. And I would guess he could easily have some subset of that participate in doing it. Okay. That's my personal experience. That's what I think the reception would be. I don't know if that's true. I, don't, I haven't talked to any of those people. Sure. But I'll tell you the two categories of people that are on the world right now. You have sovereign wealth funds, Saudi Arabia and Norway. Norway is a trillion. Saudi Arabia is two trillion. United Arab Emirates is a billion or two. And you can go right down the line. There's just tons of these pools of capital. Where if you have a trillion, 20 billion is not a big deal. Obviously, you can sure. do math. And 20 billion, if your wealth comes from oil and you want to make the transition, to spend 1% of your chip stack on having a hedge against that is a very easy bet to make. Makes sense. Norway has the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world, is my understanding, with their trillion dollars. Saudi is, is based upon private oil holdings and the kingdom's holdings, so I'm not exactly sure why that's not bigger, but it's supposedly $2 trillion, but I don't think it's a sovereign wealth fund. It's owned by a family or some combination. Putting those two aside, um, then you go over to the to the um, financer, financiers, you have Masayoshi san, who put 10 billion into Uber. If you put 10 billion into Uber, you think you might want to put 10, 20 billion into Tesla? I think so. I just said to you, I think they're on a collision course. Yeah. 15 years from now, you'll be either calling a Tesla or calling an Uber. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you built an electric self driving car, I think you can build the Uber app. And I don't think you can build the network. And I don't think the self driving is going to work for 15 years on level four, level five, where people can be asleep in the car and have no steering wheel. Yeah. But eventually we'll get there. And who knows? Maybe somebody figures it out earlier. It could be seven years, but it's not sooner than seven. Sequoia Capital, I think they have a $10 billion growth fund now. Um, Apple, Microsoft, $60 billion. Apple, $250 billion. Google, I don't know if they're at $100 billion right now. Facebook, I mean, just Amazon, right down the line. Now, I would rather see it be a, a private company that's independently run, and that seems to be what Elon's telegraphing from his tweet. But imagine if four of those people put up $10 billion each. Now yeah. you would wipe out the debt and take it private. Right. That seems incredibly easy. So this is the thing. When you're dealing with dipshit, you know, anonymous troll accounts who are pretending that the tent is fake news— or the tent is a fake tent or something, or that the cars that are in transit are not happening and the people who are writing the reviews who love the cars are wrong. Like These people are deranged and they're trying to make money by spending fear and a certain doubt. Now, it's totally fine to short a stock and bet against 
something you don't believe in, I guess. But I don't think it's fair to spread this fear, uncertainty, and doubt. If you want to say the tent is not real or something like that, well, just get an official comment from the company. Right. You don't have to go fly a drone over it and then pretend like there's nothing. Like, they're like, look, nothing's happening in the tent. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, it could be the lunch break. Who knows? Exactly. It could be a Saturday. I don't know. <laughs> so this, like, fake news from fake accounts. Uh, and then busting. They busted that one guy. Was it Montana? Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he, he hung it up after uh, Elon. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> you're re- if you're going to make these bets, like, use your real name. You know, like, it's not like the people working at Tesla are using pseudonyms to right. pump the stock. Then you shouldn't use pseudonyms to deride the stock. Just it's such an important company. Like just let them work and let the chips fall where they may. I do understand that betting against these things is part of the process. But now we're gonna be left with if this keeps happening, there'll be no public companies anymore. Because when Dell did this, Dell went private and you know, if Elon takes Tesla private, I, I think Twitter goes private. You know, I think eventually other companies will. I mean, they might be too big right now, but you could see other companies say, you know what? Screw it. We're going to be private. So you you, you think uh, the odds are, you, you feel like the odds are pretty good that Elon and Tesla will succeed in taking the company private? If they want to, I think it's a 100% chance they can. And, and they, he's clearly telegraphed that he wants to. So. so I don't know why this is even a discussion. I mean, I, I told this to a couple of shorts, like, and I, I obviously tweeted it publicly, like, you guys are very dumb. Like, did you not see Masayoshi-san put $10 billion into Uber in yeah. secondary? He didn't even invest that money primary. He just bought our old shares. Like, he bought out original investor shares to be on the cap table. Uber, Tesla, these are very comparable companies. They're both the future of transportation. They're both, I, I would say they're exactly peers in terms of their importance. Like, I think Uber's far ahead in terms of, you know, certain things. And then I think Tesla's far ahead in others, you know. One's far ahead in revenue and I think the number of cities they're in and then in the other one's far ahead in self-driving technology. So, and let me, making uh, a physical car. <laughs> let me, uh, let's let's get you a little promotion here because my audience may not know you. So yeah. It's, uh, we'll, we'll let you go here. But the book, what am I going to learn from Angel if, uh, I, if I read that book? So, I, about eight, nine years ago, I started Angel Investing because my friends at Sequoia Capital said... Here's some money. Go invest it. We'll split it 50-50, uh, whatever the returns are. Yeah. And I said, oh, don't you guys get paid like 30%? They're like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. This is just like some, you know, like little side project we're doing to just, you know, get some more companies into our orbit quicker. Sure. And we think you're a smart picker. So they picked a dozen people and they called it scouts. I started angel investing. I hit three unicorns in the first seven investments. I hit three more since then. You probably know some of the companies, Robinhood, Wealthfront, Desktop Metal, Thumbtack, uh, Uber, and Datastacks. Uh, and then com.com, I think, will be the seventh unicorn. We'll see how they do over the next year or two. But they're on track to do that, I think, if they want to um, not sell out and keep building. Hopefully, they keep building and go public. So I found myself being one of the top five angel investors of all time and realized nobody's ever written a book about it. I mean, there's one book, but it's by somebody who's never had any success as an angel. So it's like, you know, it'd be like... The opportunity was there. It'd be like me writing about how to be an all-star NBA player. I mean, I, I could write a book about that, but I wouldn't have any first-hand experience. And it might be worth reading, but it's just not going to be very good. Um, so I, I wrote the book. HarperCollins published it. Just got translated into Japanese. It's been translated into seven other languages. And it's just a very candid, honest look at how angel investing works at the earliest stages. When we did the Uber investment, there were two cabs on the road in San Francisco and like less than 10 employees. Yeah. When we did Thumbtack, it was two employees backed by Marco's parents, and then me. I think I was the second <laughs> investor or third. So we were very early in a lot of important companies. We got lucky. 
Um, and over time, we got good at it. And now we invest in 50 companies a year. And so the book just takes you through my playbook and how you can participate in private companies. And as I said, and as we know with Tesla, they're going private. Yes. You're not going to be able to invest in the best companies. And when you do invest in them when they go public, um, you know, it would probably be the equivalent of year three or four or five of a public right. company in the past. So when Uber goes public, you know, at $100 billion or $50 billion or whatever it winds up at, that would be like, you know, the fifth year of Google or something, you know, like, or the fifth year of Facebook mm-hmm. or fifth year of Amazon or something. They're going public later. So the opportunity really is to get in on them when they're private. It's still, you know, listen, if you bought Netflix or Amazon as a, or Google as a public stock, you're happy. But- I do think the world is changing with more private companies and more, more people have access to them. So the SEC has just announced that they're going to have another qualifier for accreditation. Right now, if you want to be an accredited investor and invest in private companies, you have to be accredited, which means 250000 a year in mm. salary, two hundred or two hundred fifty, and then a million or a million in net worth outside of your house. That's a high benchmark. It's only 6% sure. of the country. Um, they're coming up with a new definition, which will be sophisticated, essentially. You'll be able to pass a test like you would for driving a car, I guess, huh. to be okay to invest in these high-risk private companies, basically teaching you things like diversification, et cetera. So the whole entire United States is going to be able to, you know, 300 million people plus are going to be able to invest in private companies in the coming years. And so that's why I've been so enthusiastic about investing in the early ones, because I think in the future, I might have a thousand angel investors come alongside me and invest in the next Uber or Tesla. Yeah. Plenty to learn in that book. Yep. Uh, the book Thank is you. Angel, and uh, we can follow you on Twitter, at Jason, yes? Yep, at which, Jason uh, on Instagram, jason.tumblr. Uh, yes, and uh, we know, so the the future owner of the New York Knicks. See, I follow you. Well, That's, that is <laughs> Jason my... Jason Calacanis. That was my goal. Anybody's better than James Dolan, right? So you're oh. a Knicks fan. Well, that's a whole other podcast. Hey, yeah, that is another <laughs> podcast. Uh, Jason, sure. uh, thanks for sharing your experiences with the world of Tesla and Elon Musk. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again. All right. Thanks for having me. Man, that was a fun interview. It was really cool getting to, to just pick Jason's brain about Tesla and the way he looks at the company and Elon and his, you know, his perspective on things. That was a lot of fun. So if you hadn't heard that before, I hope you enjoyed that. Maybe if you're a newer listener, you hadn't heard that. And if you were listening to that for a second time, I hope you still enjoyed it. So uh, with that, I do have uh, one more new thing for you, which is a pro tip of the week. People keep sending them in, which I think is great. You can send in your pro tip of the week, something about your car that you've learned that maybe isn't super obvious, that is useful, that would be uh, interesting for other fellow Tesla owners and uh, enthusiasts to know about. For instance, this one from Cameron in San Francisco, a battery care tip. Cameron, go ahead. Hey, Ryan, this is Cameron from San Francisco, California, currently on the big island of Hawaii. My pro tip of the week uh, has to do with uh, battery longevity, battery care when traveling. I've been on several business trips and personal trips that have gone more than just a few days. And uh, from everything I've read online and talking to some of my friends who are familiar with lithium-ion batteries, um, to leave it plugged in at a 50% is really the best thing to do. Um, some say 75%, but uh, the consensus is leaving it plugged in is much better than not. And of course, it goes without saying that having the battery empty or near empty or full um, is not good for the battery. So that is my pro tip of the week. Thanks. 
Thank you, Cameron, and aloha! You are absolutely correct, by the way. Tesla used to actually say that, I believe, in the Model S manual. If not, it was communicated somehow back in the day. I went and checked the Model 3 owner's manual, and there's nothing in there about it. They just want to make sure that you're plugging the car in. Uh, but yeah, as, as you stated, that that is indeed the best place to keep it. If you're going to be gone for a while, like on a vacation, week or more. In fact, I've got my car set to that right now as you hear this. But or actually, well, I guess it's no, because this episode is ironically airing when I get back. But it was because I didn't want to work on it while I was on. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You don't care about that. Yes, 50% is a good place to keep the battery if you're going to be away from the car for a long time. Because as you stated, too high is bad. Too high of a state of charge. Too low is a, is a bad place to be. And that's whether you're actively using the car or not. You know, you always want to stay in that that sweet range in there. That sweet spot in the middle somewhere. Okay, that wraps it up for this special best of episode. The AKA Ryan takes a vacation finally and doesn't work on the podcast on a vacation. Uh, again, I, I hope you know I. I've told you guys so many times, and it's 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 very sincere. I I value your time so much, and the fact that you would take your time to listen to this podcast, and I I take a lot of pride in in it being something that's there for you every single Sunday at the exact same time, like clockwork every week. Um, so I hope this was a happy medium, you know, that I can do twice a year because we've got one other family trip for August um, that, that I can do something like this and put a show like this out um, that, so you still have something to listen to, but, but that allows me as a human being to, to take a break for a week and spend some time away from not just the pod. I, mean, I love this podcast, but it's just the point of course is, is taking a break from everything to just recharge and spend the time with the family. So uh, I thank you for indulging me on this. By the way, I do welcome your feedback. If you liked this, if this was a good thing, uh, please let me know. You can email me, teslapodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet me, at DMC underscore Ryan. You can call in on the Ride the Lightning hotline, uh, which, of course, I encourage you to do anyway with your Tesla questions, comments, discussion topics. You know, so that that to do that, you're either you can either use your smartphone's built-in voice recording software, record a minute, minute and a half uh, file or so, no more than that, please, and send it to me at the email address teslapodcast at gmail dot com, or you can call in on the Ride the Lightning hotline, which of course is one eight 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 nine eight nine eight seven five two. You can call in and just leave a message on there for, you know, again, a minute and a half or less. So I welcome your feedback on this. This is obviously the first time I've done something like this. If you hated it and you said, uh, you know, I would appreciate if, if you did hate it, make it constructive, like maybe something that I could do uh, instead on a vacation situation so that I can hopefully still take still take a little time off from everything, but, but you know, get you some content. Um, I would hope that if you just hated this, maybe you just skipped it for the week and that's that, <laughs> but I do welcome constructive feedback. Anyway, uh, let me give some plugs here as usual. First to Patreon. If you do enjoy what I'm up to here each and every week, the best way, 
the most the, the most appreciated way to support me is on Patreon. There are a number of different ways to do that, a number of different tiers. You can also do whatever you want. You can make up a number, but uh, you can find more information about that on my Patreon page, which is found at patreon.com slash Podcast. Meanwhile, abstractocean.com has uh, all of the favorite Tesla accessories you might want for you or your car, whether it's a... a Vinyl wrap for your for that glossy Model 3 uh, center console that tends to scratch if you just look at it funny. <laughs> if you want to cover that in a, a carbon fiber wrap or a, just a satin wrap, whatever you want to do, you can find that stuff at abstractocean.com. They've got screen protectors. They've got uh, all kinds of stuff. Take a look. A lot of lighting accessories, cool lighting. So take a look, abstractocean.com. Use the coupon code RTL podcast, one word, RTL podcast at checkout to get 15% off of your first order with them. Meanwhile, you can check out irdetailing.com if you'd like to know more about Immaculate Reflections, one of the Bay Area's premier detailers. Uh, They took care of my car. I'm so happy with it. I'm, I'm actually over the moon about it. It's just, it, Jeff did an amazing job. And I'm so grateful that uh, he spent so much time on my car. He will work with you on whatever your budget is and whatever your sort of wish list is. So, you know, he can work with you on finding the the happy medium for you, whether you want, um, you know, uh, the paint correction, you want paint protection film, ceramic coating, one of those, two of those, all those, et cetera, et cetera. IRDetailing.com. If you are buying a one of the new Jada wireless charging pads for Model 3, uh, which is maybe of interest to you if you own a Qi-compatible wireless smartphone, you can order that uh, using my referral code. Again, full disclosure, I don't have a discount that I can offer you on that one, unfortunately. But this, uh, the the you know, it's a hundred bucks for the for the wireless charging pad, and I they give me they float me a few bucks if you use the the uh, referral code, the, rather the referral link that I'll give you here. So if you want to do that, it is getjada.com. Jada spelled J E D A. Getjada.com slash R E F slash eight. And finally, I want to well remind you that you can subscribe to the podcast. That's totally free just so that it downloads to you each and every week automatically without you having to do anything. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, which remember, TuneIn is in your Tesla. You can get this this podcast in your Tesla. I'm also on Spotify or YouTube, etc., uh, etc. Et Pretty much everywhere major podcasts are available. Finally, I want to thank and shout out the Patreon producers. These are the kind folks supporting me at the producer tier each and every month, uh, if I if if you're new, I <laughs> I apologize because I'm recording this a couple weeks ago on, a, on a, just a nice quiet down moment where I had a chance to get this done. Because you know before you go on a trip, it gets hectic. You got to clean up the house. You got to get packed. You got to you got a bunch of things you got to square away at work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, if you've joined the Patreon producer ranks in the last couple of weeks. You might not hear yourself here, and I apologize for that. I'll shout you out next week. But uh, I want to thank Ron Lee, along with Austin Allen, My Tesla Adventure, Rob Brewer, Tesla Owners Taiwan, Jeremy Harris, the other Jeremy, who's not just the other Jeremy, he's just 
He's Jeremy as well. Josh, Blake Wiley, Daniel Grummer, Michael Waddle, Luxendary.com, Dorian Steve Guberman, Joel Sapp, Lyle Austin, Bill Royko, Brian Hope, Jerry and Mary Smith, Gabriel Salais, David Nondahl, Eric Randolph, Luke A., Ulrich Lassa, David Vakil, Rome Strack, Peter Chalet, Lawton from Chicago, Lars Hoffman, Marcus Mayenschein, Tim Hyde, Joe Edgel, Jason Chalukas, Robert Maracle, Michael Lester, Matthew Parra, Logan Willis, Alexi Heft, Jonathan Wales, David Brander, George Cassiopo, Wolfgang Obergen, Pete White, and DJ Harbaugh holds down the, the spot for longest active running Patreon producer. Thank you, DJ. Thanks to all of you for your continued support. It's, uh, again, it's what fuels this thing. It's what keeps this podcast rolling each and every week. Um, I mean, my my love and energy does as well, but <laughs> the, the Patreon support is what, what allows me to continue to do that. Um, so thank you all so, so much. Anyway, this is the end of the vacation episode, the best of. Uh, again, hopefully you'll permit me one more of these this year for another planned family trip. Hopefully, hopefully two of them per year is a reasonable ask. Um, everybody get, needs vacations, right? Everybody needs a little time off, uh, especially after three straight years of doing this podcast. But again, I hopefully enjoyed what, what I put together here for you on this episode, and it wasn't a total waste of your time. I Again, I appreciate your feedback either way. But with that, uh, Daisy and I wish you happy electric motoring, and I'll be back live, quote-unquote, you know, with (laughs) regular topical stuff. I'll be back next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. <laughs> That's what it's meant to be. Well, our goal is to make it's it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. Mm. Make it's maximum fun.